Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church's 3rd Advent on December 15, 2013. Today's message is, God is Light and the World is Safe by Pastor Isaac Wining, based on a scripture, 1 John 1. at we'll be looking at another text from the Apostle John last week we looked at John chapter 1 and this week we'll be looking at 1st John chapter 1 a similar chapter in some ways John telling us what happened that the word appeared in the flesh I'll start off with a story and a story about Jesus and then we'll talk about in three sections a reminder about the word coming into the world, God being light, the world being safe, and our response to that message, especially at Christmas time. Would you pray with me as we go to God's word? Father in heaven, we recognize that it is you who speaks in this word. We pray as we come to it that you will have mercy on us, open our hearts and our ears to hear and receive what you have to say to us today. Pray that for myself and for everyone in this room. God, please help us to become people who are ruled by your word because we know this is the best kind of life that can possibly be. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, two summers ago, my family, along with Amber's side of the family, extended family, we went down to the Oregon coast and we went camping in Newport. Has anyone been to Newport? Or if you've been to the Oregon coast, it's great down there. It was beautiful and sunny. And we decided we would go on a whale-watching tour. We were really excited. We paid all our money. We got on the boat. They took us out. And as soon as we got out into the ocean, we hit the fog bank. Has anyone experienced the fog bank? It was like we were back in Vancouver, first of all. And then, not only that, you get out through the fog bank, and the waves start throwing this boat. I mean, there were points where the boat, the entire front side of the boat was out of the water. It felt like the boat was jumping, and everyone on the boat was seasick. I mean, everybody, especially my mother-in-law. We were all inside looking green, and it was terrible. They had to clear, actually, almost all the outside sections they had to clear because waves were actually crashing over the front of the boat. We didn't see any whales and I don't know if I'll ever pay to do that again. There was a time when Jesus was in a boat kind of like that. In Mark chapter 1, we find Jesus in a boat with the other apostles, experienced fishermen, and they are in a storm. And this storm has sent waves crashing over the boat. The other apostles, uh, the twelve, they are freaking out. They think they're going to die. Even though they've been on the Sea of Galilee most of their lives, they're very experienced, they think that they're going to die. And where is Jesus? 
Go ahead, say it out loud. He's sleeping on a cushion, pillow, in the stern of the boat. He's sleeping on a cushion. What kind of inner life would a person have to have in order to do that? You cannot just simply choose to sleep during an emergency, during a disaster where everyone around you thinks that they're about to die. In that moment, we see in Jesus an inner life of such deep trust in God that we almost can't imagine that it's possible. They go and wake Jesus up, don't they? And they say, don't you care that we're about to drown? And what does Jesus say? He says, where is your faith? Why would you poss- why, why in the world would you be afraid that you're going to die? Nothing can happen to you. And he stands up and he tells the waves to be quiet and they listen to him and everyone is terrified. Do you want to be like him? I do. And I hope that you do too. There was a young woman, part of our youth group, who came up to me recently. And we had been talking about Jesus and what his inner life was like. And she said, with tears in her eyes, I just want to be like that. How can I become like him? Do you want to be like him? I hope that you do. He is the eternal life. John, 1 John chapter 1. Let me read the opening of it again for us. It is good for us to hear this again and again. John is opening to us mysteries hidden from the beginning of the world. This is a different version. This is the contemporary English version. I'll read just the first few lines. The word that gives life was from the beginning. And this is the one our message is about. Our ears have heard, our own eyes have seen, our hands have touched this word. The one who gives life appeared. We saw it happen, and we are witnesses of what we have seen. So now we are telling you about this eternal life that was with the Father and appeared to us. We are telling you what we have seen and heard. You can almost hear in John's words as he writes how excited he is about this. John is writing this letter near the end of his life, and he lived a long time. He is probably around a hundred years old at the time he writes this letter. The Apostle John was close friends with Jesus. You remember he was one of the twelve And indeed, he was even one of the three, the three closest companions of Jesus while he was on earth. But that was a long time before he wrote this letter. In fact, John was probably in his teens or 20s when he was following Jesus physically around Galilee. At this point, it's been 80 80 years since he has seen Jesus in the flesh. But you can hear in his words how excited he is to tell once again what has happened. And what is it that has happened? Eternal life 
has become a human being. Did you guys catch that in verse 3? Sorry, verse 2, the second half of verse 2. He says that what we are telling you, we are telling you about this eternal life, the eternal life that was with the Father and has appeared to us. We talk about eternal life quite often. We have John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have... but will have eternal life. And often we take that to mean simply that our sins will be forgiven and that therefore we will be with God someday in heaven forever. But here we see, and we see this again and again in the New Testament, that eternal life is defined for us. Eternal life is not defined just as a life that will never end someday after I die. Eternal life is defined by the Apostle John as the life of Jesus. The life that Jesus had in him is eternal life. This is similar to what Jesus himself says. What is eternal life? To know God and the one he has sent, Jesus Christ. This is eternal life. That changes, doesn't it? What John 3.16 means, it means more than just your sins are forgiven and you will be with God when you die. He moves on in the passage and beginning of verse 5, he starts to tell us about God and the message that Jesus brought to the world about God. What would you say is the message Jesus brought. If you were asked the question by someone maybe who's not a Christian, what did Jesus teach? What is the message that Jesus brought into the world? What would you say? How would you answer? I think that John's answer to that question is enlightening to us because it's not... It's not how most of us would answer the question. John tells us in verse 5 that the message Jesus brought into the world and taught to his disciples, his apostles, was simply this, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light and in God, there is no darkness at all. I want to say this morning that this message and his belief, his deep belief in the truth of this message is what allowed Jesus to do things like sleeping on a pillow in the middle of a storm. What does this mean then, that God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. The first thing that it means is that God is perfectly good. Light in the Bible is constantly a symbol of goodness, a symbol of God himself, a symbol that everything is okay. 
God is perfectly good. This is similar to what John says later in the same letter, that God is love. There is nothing bad in God. Why is that important for us to know? It's important because it means that God is not out to get you. God is not against you. God is not ever going to do anything bad or anything that will ultimately harm you. God is not against you. He is not out to get you. I wonder how many of you in your lives have something that you feel like God allowed or even did that you think is very bad you wish had never happened. But God is not out to get you. Secondly, God is light means that God is the source of everything that's good. Have you ever watched how a crocus, the first flowers that come up in the spring, bask in the sunlight even before anything else is alive? Have you ever done that yourself? In the last house that I lived in, we had a great deck in the back. And around the same time that the crocuses come out, maybe in February or possibly a little bit later, the sun would start to hit that deck. And even while everything else was still still cold and it was still pretty dark, I could sit out on that deck in my shorts and bask in the sunlight. And after you've gone through a long season of winter and you've been cold, do you know that feeling of sitting in the sun? And everything else sort of fades away. And you feel good. This is God. God is light. He is the source of everything good. If you are in him and receive him in that way, everything else, all your troubles... Everything that seems like it is wrong will melt away. God is light also means that he is like a substance you can exist in. God is someone that you can live in, just like you can live in the light. And finally, God is light means for those of us who believe, and choose to live in the light, it means that you are perfectly safe. And this is in many ways the secret of Jesus and the secret of the apostles. You are perfectly safe. There is nothing that can ever happen to you that will not, in the end, turn out to have been for your good. Think about that one more time with me. There is nothing that can ever happen to you that will not turn out in the end to have been for your good. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but this is the constant testimony of Jesus, of the New Testament, of all the writers of the New Testament, of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, you are perfectly safe. 
I used to live on a street in England. The street was called Broad Street. You can see a picture of it behind me. It's in Oxford in England. And you can see in the street there is a cross made out of cobblestones. And I could see this cross from my window. You can't see the actual apartment I lived in from this picture. It's just off uh, back to the right. But I could see this cross just barely from my window. On this spot, in the year 1555, two men by the names of Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were burned at the stake. They were burned at the stake because they followed Jesus and they believed the Bible. Uh, these men were burned at the stake during the reign of Queen Mary, often known as Bloody Mary, sort of in the middle of all that mess that happened in the English Reformation. These two men, Nicholas and Hugh, were well known for all kinds of deep spiritual acts. Uh, Nicholas Ridley had become the Bishop of London itself during the reign of King Edward. And his schedule as Bishop of London was incredible. He would spend his morning hours, no one knows quite how long, because we don't know when he got up, but all the way until 10 o'clock in the morning he would spend in prayer by himself. At 10 o'clock in the morning he would leave his solitary prayer and attend his first prayer meeting of the day. He would then spend the rest of his day mostly helping orphans and widows in the city visiting different poor people, and attending various prayer meetings all over the city. He was well-known and loved widely. On this day, as they were going to be executed for essentially believing the Bible, for not refuting or not giving up some of their beliefs that were opposed to the Catholic Church at that time, Nicholas and Hugh walked up onto their funeral pyre willingly and without being forced. They encouraged each other. They smiled. They seemed happy. There were thousands of people in the streets around them. And as they talked together, the only thing that was overheard between them was this statement. Today, we will light such a fire in the hearts of the British people that I trust it will never be put out. They were tied, even though they had no desire to go anywhere else, and the flames were lit. Once their bonds were burned through, they were seen raising their hands in worship and singing songs to God as they perished in the flames. These two men are just one of thousands of well-known examples that I could have brought here today. I, I brought this example only because it was important to me in my first couple of years as a believer. Again, I asked the same question that I asked about Jesus. What kind of an inner life does a person have to be able to do such a thing as this? Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley believed beyond doubt 
that nothing could ever happen to them that would not turn out in the end to have been for their good. They believed they were perfectly safe. In fact, they were better than perfectly safe. They were untouchable. So how do you get there? And what is the response that we should have to this message if we believe it? John spends the rest of chapter 1 telling us what the only possible response to this message is. If you actually believed that God is light, in him there is no darkness at all, and that he came into the world in the person of Jesus, and that person now is available to you, if you actually believe this, there is only one response that is even possible, John tells us. And that response is to do everything in your power to live in the light. If you believe this message, that is really the only thing that is possible to do if you really believed it. This would be like if someone told you that down at the bank, at RBC, here on the corner of Fraser and 49th, they're holding a million dollars cash for you. And all you have to do is go down and pick it up. If you really believe that that were true, what is the only possible response you could have to that belief? The only possible response you would have is to go down and pick up the money, isn't it? If you really believed that it were true. How do you get there? How do you get into the light? Jesus, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, the Apostle John did not become the way that they were, filled to their core with the deep conviction of the truth of God, simply by deciding that they would believe it or by deciding that they were going to be happy while they were burned at the stake, or by deciding that he would sleep during a storm, during a disaster. No, they didn't become that way by simply trying to do it. They tried to do something else. And that something else that they did released the power of God in their lives and slowly, over time, transformed them. They arranged their lives in such a way that they would, over time, come more and more into the light. They did this in ways that are well known to everyone. It's written all over the pages of the Gospels and the New Testament what Jesus himself did in order to make himself this way. The Son of God, the one who was the Word before the creation of the universe and through whom the entire universe was made, when he was in his body, it was not simply a given that he would believe in God. He had to do the things that were necessary to cause his faith to grow. Even Jesus had to do this. You can see it in his life over and over. Times of prayer that he spent, 
incredible, intense, long times of prayer, deep study and memorization of scripture, times of worship, times that he spent alone with God, 40 days at the very beginning of his ministry, and then again and again throughout the rest of his time on earth, fasting. These things that we are to do in order to enter the light are written all over, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, systematically eliminating anger, eliminating excessive desires for other things, eliminating false appearances, doing things for God in secret, giving freely, forgiving our enemies and serving them. These are the things that those who have been able to enter the light have always done. You cannot enter the light simply by deciding to do it. But if you do the things that the Bible leads and teaches you to do, if you do the things that Jesus does, you will, over time, enter that light. The eternal life became a human being. And by becoming a human being, he opened the way for you to have that eternal life in yourself. All you have to do is arrange your life so that you enter the light. It is available to you right now. As we are in the season of Christmas, as we sing all these carols and hymns, as we participate in all the great Christmas traditions, I want to enter the light. I want to become more like him. I want to go after him this Christmas. I don't want to just have, to just do this in a traditional way as if it had no meaning. And I am asking if you will come with me and enter the light. As we go through Christmas next week, and the Christmas Eve service, and other things that you do in your homes, I ask you to use these traditions. Use these songs. Focus your minds and your hearts on them. Embed them in your life and down deep even into your soul that you might become more like Jesus this Christmas than you were before. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we stand before you as very small ones, humble human beings with no great power in ourselves. We want to believe this message that you have opened the way to eternal life. And we pray that this Christmas you will help us as we press in to believe it and to believe it deeply. We ask for your help and for your mercy. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.